All right, everybody. Well, um, again, I'm Doug, one of the pastors here at Hope. If you're watching us online, we are really glad that you are... Oh, I'm in a tunnel. We're really glad that you're with us. Um, we know that a lot of folks will check us out online on the Facebook feed before they come to visit. So if you are watching online today, we do hope that you come and join us in the room sometime. Um, how many of you would say that it's a little more fun and connecting in the room? So like... A third of them. So, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, most of them. Okay, so we hope you come and join us. Um, well, here's how I want to open, actually, this, uh, this message today. Um, does anybody here like to barbecue? Um, yeah, anybody like to run the barbecue? Anybody here like to barbecue using charcoal? Like, that's your thing? Okay, we got a few purists in the room. My, my older brother uh, considered himself a purist. He he uh, had the Weber kettle, and he had all the charcoal, and, you know, those of us that cheated by using, you know, propane or gas or whatever, he really looked down on us. And my mom and dad are over here, so if I get the story wrong, that's too bad. They'll correct it for you, but not during the message. So, um, so uh, he, um, the problem, and my brother never watches this, so this will never get to him. Um, usually, I only tell these stories in second service, but you guys are going to get this one. So my brother, um, he, he would pride himself on his you know, charcoal grilling skills, but the problem is he'd get done with his burgers, and the burgers were kind of like the briquettes. Have you ever overdone your burgers that way? So eventually, um, my parents, I think it was when they were moving here to Arizona, my dad had a nice uh, propane grill that at first my brother was kind of like, oh, well, I suppose we need somewhere to keep it. Uh, but then he actually tried the propane grill, and I don't think I've seen the charcoal out yeah, at his place in Minnesota ever since. So he was converted. Uh, he was not the purest. But I used to like to do um, some charcoal grilling. When I first moved here, I was in that same camp with the charcoal grilling thing. I had the old Weber kettle. Anybody? Weber kettle? Any of the big? Yeah. Big Weber kettle, you know, and you make what you do in there is you got to make yourself a pile of just, you know, briquettes. You got to have a nice pile of them, right? You got to get them piled up nice and high. Um, the key is to keep them together. You guys see that? Got that there? There's the pile of briquettes. And then, um, you know, after a couple gallons of lighter fluid, you know, you just pour it on and get it really going, really get it going there. A um, couple gallons of lighter fluid, and then boom, you just let it go. Just kidding. That was actually a water bottle behind it. I heard a panic over here. I don't want anybody, yeah. But it worked. It worked. I tricked at least one of you. So, um, you light the match, right? This is how the, the, the charcoal deal works. In fact, um, when my son Noah, when he was really little, being the great dad that I was, I'd have him, you know, stand way back when I'd light the, light the grill, and he loved to watch this. He loved it, right? Um, see, little boys are fascinated by fire. Uh, it's a common phase that lasts, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 years, right? Um, <laughs> So we would take our little charcoal grill out when we would camp until we learned that here in Arizona, when you do something like that, it's a great way to start a forest fire. So now we do propane tanks, which I'm sometimes like, wait, we'll just blow up the entire forest if that, right? It's, so we go propane. But, but charcoal, those of you who are barbecue purists, it's, it's pretty good stuff. Um, and by the way, so here's a question. When you use charcoal, when you use charcoal, um, if you don't have water, how do you put out the coals? Anyone? Sand is one way. What else? There you go. You, you, you separate them. You spread them out. 
And pretty soon those coals, you scatter them and they go out. Which is interesting, right? When you start a charcoal fire, you got to pile these briquettes up nice and big and tall and close. You want them right there next to each other. And then they ignite and then they get hot and you can cook quite a meal for quite a long time at a really good temperature. But if you just take even one of them out of the fire, not with your hands, kids, but you take one out and you separate it, you just kind of put it over off to the side, no matter how hot it was when you pulled it from and now when it's separated, it can no longer fulfill its design, its purpose, because it needs to be with the other pieces. Which reminds me of Hebrews chapter 10, um, where the writer of Hebrews is telling a, a church, a group of people, saying this, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, keyword together, as some in, are in the habit of doing, but, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's talking about meeting together, being together, because we are better together and this is a major part of a healthy spiritual community. Now, we've been in a series of messages that we've been calling Spotlight, where each week we've just looked at something different that is crucial to how we approach ministry and, and do church here as the Hope family. And this um, Sunday is kind of the last Sunday of the Spotlight series here. But I want to spotlight the strong value we have on following Jesus together, following Jesus Together and why we make such a big deal about belonging to a small group. In fact, I remember when I first came to Hope five weeks ago next week, um, there was this working document that, that I read through that looked towards our future as a church. And one of the things in that vision was that in the future, Hope would be a church, not just a church with small groups, but a church of small groups, and I found out there had been quite a bit of discussion by the elders and leaders behind that, but that we would become and be a church of small group, of small groups, um, which is a very important clarification, because so many times in our day and age, in our culture, um, lots of churches, lots of ministries try to do lots of different things, offer tons of different options, and um, that can be great, but one of the problems is when we have lots of options, we can lose our focus on the most important things. See, options can be awesome, but it takes time, energy, and effort to manage and lead or coordinate it all. And when small groups just gets kind of added on as another option on a long list of options, then it seems optional. And that's what a church, you know, with small groups looks like, um, which is fine. Unless your church, like ours, feels called to be a church with small groups. See, with, with our focus on the big three that you hear me mention frequently, the big three to love God, love others, and follow Jesus together, which, by the way, is another way of saying making disciples, following Jesus together. Uh, if you look at Matthew 22 and Matthew 18, these are the things that Jesus charged the church with. Here's what we need to carry forward at, at the very minimum, at our core, to love God, to love others, to follow Jesus together, um, and here at Hope, small groups is the main way that that gets carried out. And that's why small groups are not for us just another, you know, option, but are the heartbeat of Hope, where, where we focus on following Jesus 
together as a church of small groups. And, and as I get into this talk this morning, I want to give credit to, um, to uh, some churches that are doing, just doing great work at really developing a lot of this. Um, Menlo Park in the uh, San Francisco area, John Ortberg, uh, Ben Gores, who came and did a uh, training for our small group leaders yesterday morning in, in a training we have. There's so many different small group people that have taught me so much over the last few years. Um, I won't be able to quote them all as I go, but just want to give credit to a lot of those folks. And what I want to do now with the rest of our time this morning is I want to talk um, first about Jesus and, and, and why the early church and why Jesus himself put such a high value on spiritual community, a value on following Jesus together along with other people, and tied to that, the, the importance, the power of small groups for us today as we follow Jesus together. Uh, and, and what I want to do then is start here by, by looking uh, first at Jesus and how he really valued community. He valued relationships. He valued a small group. Um, check this out. When, when Jesus began his three years of ministry, he started out by calling disciples, right? We'll look at a couple of those here. Mark 1 verse 16 tells us, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting net into the lake for they were fishermen. Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When they'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Jebedee, and his <laughs> Jebedee, Zebedee, <laughs> Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. We look at Matthew chapter 9, and we see with, with Matthew's calling, Jesus went on from there, it says in verse 9, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And we could go on with some of the other disciples, but here's the key here. If we just notice how Jesus started his ministry, the context of Jesus' ministry and calling disciples was to join a group and to follow him together, right? He says, follow me, you, and you, and you follow me, and you, and you, and you follow me is the context. It's a huge part. The togetherness, doing it together, is a huge part of the context. In fact, in the Gospels, um, we see Jesus doing almost nothing alone. Almost nothing does he do alone. At the beginning of his ministry, he collects these 12 disciples, and they go with him everywhere. So his life and his ministry are, are done in the context of being together. Now, by the way, he's God, right? So Jesus didn't have to do it that way. See, Jesus would have been perfectly capable of pulling off all this ministry by himself. It's not like he needed somebody to help him, you know, teach better or a crew to handle his social media presence so he could get more followers. Um, he didn't have to do his mission in community with a small group. But as John Ortberg notes, you have to understand this about Jesus. Community was his plan to change the world. Community was his plan to change the world. So when Jesus then eventually leaves earth three years, years later, three years later, Jesus ascends back to heaven. And what did he leave behind? He didn't leave like financial resources, a bunch of money. Um, he didn't leave a 
organizational structure. There was no budget. There was no buildings. All the things that we would think maybe are crucial to have a movement today. Jesus didn't leave any of that. He, what he left us when he ascended to heaven, what he left us was his small group, a community focused on following Jesus together. That was his plan. That was it. Twelve very ordinary people in a circle of Jesus' followers and friends. That was the community. And interestingly enough, 2,000 years later, here we are this morning because of that small group way back then. So Jesus took the importance of a small group of a community very, very seriously. In fact, I want to just kind of ask a question for those of you that are familiar a little bit with the Bible. Um, uh, how often did Jesus approach someone and say to them, hey, I want you to follow me. I'm, I'm putting together this little band of disciples, and I want you to be one of them. But I know, I know for you, you're a busy guy. You don't really have time to be a part of a small group. Plus, <laughs> as you know, some of these other disciples can be kind of a pain, right? Peter talks too much. James is really strict and legalistic sometimes. <laughs> Thomas, he's on the negative side, and, and Judas, well, don't even guess, don't get me started on Judas, right? I, I get it. These disciples, they're difficult to be around. They're not normal like you and me. So, so how about for you? How about for you? You can follow me on your own. You, you get to do the, the solo thing. You can skip the whole community, the whole together part. Just, you know, read some of the scriptures, listen to some of my lectures, because for you, we'll just let you do, you know, discipleship as the independent study plan. So again, question, how, how often did Jesus make that kind of solo disciple offer available to someone? Anyone? Yeah, never. He never did that. He never did that. All the way from the beginning of his ministry, his first steps were to call a community that follows him together. And then throughout his whole ministry, we watched Jesus keep pointing them back to their absolute need to follow him and carry out his mission in community, which meant working out their differences, being united, forgiving because they needed to forgive each other all the time, showing patience and grace and understanding and giving each other the benefit of the doubts in a world that really doesn't want to do any of that. Our world wants to just kind of hammer each other for differences and leave people behind us to punish people rather than to figure out how to walk with people. I mean, I think just a simple reading of the New Testament makes it very clear that, that we cannot grow the way that Jesus offers without being a part of his community. Like there's no, you know, solo self-study discipleship plan. So community is Jesus' plan for how we grow and walk out our faith we follow Jesus together. Now, I often wonder, why did Jesus do it this way? Like, why did God actually wire us as people in such a way that a huge part of our need in discipleship had to be done in community? Well, in the rest of the message today, I just want to touch on a few of those important things, of some of the many things, but just a few um, important things for us to remember um, of what happens in community, why one, some of the reasons it's so important. And the first thing I want to highlight is going to bring us back to our scripture in just a moment here, but, but, but it's also related to this picture of the charcoal fire and the briquettes that we started with. When, when we are together like that, 
uh, we can encourage and inspire one another. Look back at the Hebrews 10 passage here. Again, it says, let us consider. In fact, let's read this out loud together from verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, we're going to spur each other on toward love and toward good deeds. We're going to encourage each other when we come together. So when we look back at this charcoal image piled together, it's incredible, right? There's something, a way that these briquettes work. When you put them together and you get them lit, the fire just grows really hot, really quick. You can cook a, a tasty meal. But again, like I said earlier, when you pull one off to the side and it's on its own, it cools off real fast. It, it loses the fire. It gets cold when it's just kind of out there on its own. And God made them that way. Coals get hot together, and when they get isolated, they cool down, which reminded me of a, a quote by Dallas Willard where he said, personalities united can contain more of God and sustain the force of his presence much better than scattered individuals. I, I thought that's really powerful right there. Think about this for a moment. Personalities, people united in community together contain more of God, and sustain the force of his presence much better than scattered individuals. Which again is why I think the writer of Hebrews wrote what he did where we just read from. Um, Because not only can we spur one another on and encourage each other when we're together, but the reality is when these little briquettes get together, the presence of Jesus is stronger when we are together. It's like being together, the coals can burn a little hotter, a little brighter, a little longer than when we are on our own. And I know that I've experienced that in Christian community for sure. And I believe that many of you probably have experienced that in one way or another as well. Like I know if you've been in a healthy small group, um, if you've been in a good small group, you know, we get together in our group and it doesn't happen this way every time, but, but sometimes the Spirit of God just kind of works in the room and we experience these moments when we're together, moments of wisdom or breakthrough sometimes or or insight or growth. Sometimes there's encouragement, there's, there's comfort, there's guidance and there's strength as God speaks through you to me and me to you. That's the power of community. That's the way God wired it when we get together in community, right? Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, there I am where? Right with you, in the midst, right there he is. Jesus is right there when we come together. He's just right in the middle of us. And by the way, you know, that's also the reason that some people don't want to come together in community when they start making choices or, or walking away from what God might have for them in their own life, in their own situation. Um, what happens sometimes when we are just choosing willfully to make decisions that we don't want to listen, we don't want to hear what God has to say, we certainly won't want anybody to ask us about it. And so we wander away from community, we isolate ourselves from spiritual community, and I've seen that happen Many times, I know that I've been guilty of that in the past as well. Um, I don't want to hear it, so I'm actually going to go isolate myself. But the problem with that is, like, you ever try to 
you know, grill something with a single, single briquette, right? There's not a lot you can do with one briquette. And so when we step away from other Christians, or maybe we do kind of stick around, but we hide, we fake, we pretend like everything's fine. When we, when we do that, um, inevitably we can grow a little colder, um, we can wander, and then we wonder why our heart is hard, and sometimes we even think God's done something or punishing us, and no, we've just kind of stepped away from it, because he's always arms open wide, inviting us back to him, inviting us into community. See, we need community because there's this really important truth about the human existence. We were created by God to need one another. And I think this is especially true when we are struggling. We need actually to be known, not to hide. The the safest place to live is to live with nothing hidden, which is not always easy. I promise you it's not easy at all. I think of one of my really good friends who is so good at that. He's just fiercely committed to live with nothing hidden. And the two of us together talk about this, and, and I'm committed to that as well, just to live with nothing hidden. But this guy, he's, he's like light years ahead of me. And, and so he regularly, because he wants to live with nothing hidden, he tells me about his struggles, his failures, which then for me, in turn, uh, makes him a safe person for me to tell my struggles and failures to. I think of a time that just happened recently where he and I were on the phone, and I was realizing that I had not been very... Um, gracious or loving or forgiving towards someone who had uh, hurt me. Okay, that sells a little short. I was getting bitter. (laughs) Um, And um, I confessed that to him in in all its ugliness. Um, And by the way, I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to tell him, um, but he did kind of prompt with a question. (laughs) And I didn't want to lie. I wasn't going to lie, so I, I told him. But what's beautiful is the gift in response that I got from him um, was so much like Jesus. And my friend is so full of grace and truth. And strangely enough, in that moment of confessing my sin to my brother, I did experience healing. And uh, some of you know there's a scripture about that that we talk about here. But we can experience grace like I did through my friend. In fact, what's kind of funny is bringing that into the light in front of him, uh, it felt so good to me that I wanted to make up more bad stuff to tell him, right? So, <laughs> um, but here's, here's, here's the deal. Um, having someone know like the bad stuff or the dark stuff or still the broken stuff, even though we're new creations, we're new in Christ, uh, Christ in us is the truest thing about us, the broken stuff that rises up when somebody can see that, and I let them see that, I let them in, and they're a safe person, key, they're a safe person who are not looking to hammer me. Um, Man, just having somebody know that stuff and still love me is so powerful. It's where we experience the grace of Jesus through one another. Now, I know we're talking about small groups, so granted, Small groups are not going to automatically go to that kind of depth, at least not for a while, because it does take time to develop that kind of vulnerability. It can't be forced. It can't be demanded from people. Um, But I'll tell you this, becoming a part of a small group definitely ups the odds of finding someone that you can be known by. It ups those odds drastically. 
uh, which is the second thing about community that I wanted to touch on. Um, see, another reason that discipleship needs to be done in community is because being loved and being known happens when we follow Jesus together. Again, the Hebrews passage, we're looking at it. It says, we spur one another on toward love. So many times we get to the good deeds part, but remember, it says toward love. We spur each other toward love. So let's not forget that one just because it comes first and good deeds is next. We spur each other on toward love. And so being loved and known happens when we follow Jesus together but again, it has to be a safe place. I can't stress that enough because I know if, if any of you have been in the kinds of communities that I've sometimes experienced um, where somebody decides they're going to be the police <laughs> over me and when I mess up, they're going to hammer me and you're met with anything but grace in the name of truth. And even sometimes people call it love and you know it's not. But when you get that, the last thing you want to do is to move toward it again. It takes a lot of courage to move toward that again if you have received the harsh side of that, especially from another Christian. See, it takes time. It takes time. And in a healthy small group, um, they aim, our groups aim to be a safe place to be known where people can take off their religious pretending mask and get a taste of being known and loved even on their worst which, by the way, is why so many of us have this commitment to live with nothing hidden. Because instinctively, we know that you can only be loved by people to the extent that you are known. Let me say that again. You can only be loved, truly loved by people to the extent that you are known. I know about one pastor group that I'm a part of the, the past few years, and what we know in that group is as long as there is stuff you don't know about me, you might say that you love me, but inside I'm going to wonder, yeah, well, if you knew the whole truth about me, you might not even want to be around me, and you surely wouldn't love me. And so we make a practice um, of being known because we can only be loved to the extent that we are known and we can only be fully loved if we are fully known, which sounds ridiculous, sounds risky, sounds a little crazy, like it's not worth the risk. We'd rather hide. But Jesus came to make a community like that possible. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, uh, it says that they would gather together. They would gather together with glad and, here's the word, sincere hearts. Sincere hearts. And that word sincere contains the idea that when they met with each other, the masks came off and they were real with one another. That's the kind of authentic community that, that we want and need, but it takes time. And it only happens when people make the commitment to follow Jesus together in a community and they commit to it and they stick with it. Not in a legalistic way where we're gonna shame people if they don't you know, show up or if they just need to back out or bow out. We don't shame people. You made a commitment. No, we don't do that. That's not how communities of grace work. But we make a commitment, we stick to it, we are in it. And we only experience it when we commit and we're together in this kind of community. And I'm not asking you to do that with everybody, okay? There are unsafe people, and it does take a while to build up a relationship where there can be that level of openness and honesty. And a great first step into that is trying it out in a healthy, small group. 
But I have to be really uh, straight with you guys on this because um, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want somebody to say, where's the truth in advertising here? Um, so, so I'm going to give you the disclaimer here. Um, and this is the third thing that I want to spotlight when it comes to small groups. Um, following Jesus together is challenging. It's challenging, right? It's difficult. It is not easy. I mean, all the good stuff, right? Encouragement and being loved and known, that happens in spiritual community where we follow Jesus together. But how many of you know, because you've tried it or been in a group like this, you know that it's not easy, right? Few of us are raising our, our small group leader. I know he wanted to raise his hand, but he's sitting in the front row because there was no back seats available. So I, I'm sorry, Andy, right? <laughs> Listen, it's not easy. And loving people is not easy because people, ready? Ready for this? People are people, <laughs> People are difficult. We are all a little bit odd and off and different. Um, and I think that's why Jesus, when he was with his small group of, you know, difficult knuckleheads, it's the last nights before he went to the cross, he gives this command over and over. He says to them, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then a little later, this is John 15, 12, and then in verse 17, he says again, he's like, this is my command, love each other. At another point, uh, he says in chapter 13, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you what? Love one another. See, the whole credibility of his mission, Jesus is saying himself, is it's not that you're smart. It's not that you build this really big, impressive organization. It's not that everybody in your group behaves perfectly, and it's not that you always get it right in how you handle situations. That's not what he's looking for. The criteria is that you love one another. You love one another. So following Jesus together, it means cultivating this community of love. But again, it's not all flowery. It isn't easy. Because even right here where Jesus says this to them, like he's been in it with them for three years together. And one of the last things he has to tell them over and over is to love each other. And, and I kind of think the reason why is because they still hadn't gotten it. <laughs> they were still messing this up. And he saw it and he's like, okay, I'm going to have to come back to the basics over and over. See, their little community of disciples, they struggled with love, which tells us something too. In fact, I think it answers an important question where, where like, let's phrase it this way. One of us might ask, okay, so if I get into a healthy small group, can I ex expect effortless, rich, problem-free, intimate community for the rest of my life? Anyone guessing here? Yeah, no, probably not, right? See, listen, community, real community is never easy. It's never easy. I mean, if you want to be in control and be the boss and control everybody, you might make it look good for a while, but eventually people will walk away, sneak away, get away. They don't, man, they probably won't even tell you because you're really good at shaming them on their way out. But community is never easy. In fact, Henry now, and I love how he says it, he says, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. <laughs> That's encouraging. We're going to put that on the small groups flyer. Come join a small group. This is how we roll. Um, but I think the truth of even what Nowen recognizes, I think this is why Jesus, actually, when he picked his disciples, he didn't work real hard to make sure he put together this small group of people who were, you know, naturally compatible with one another. 
Like I, I was watching some small group stuff in the last month um, and one church was like, hey, and again, this is an idea. It's a, probably a good idea in many ways, but they're like, hey, go find people that are just like you, same age, same you know, stage of life, all of it. You know, get together with them. You've got something in common. That's how you're gonna build a small group. And, and you know, there's something to that that works, except it misses out on the diversity of the stages of life of a family doing life together of different age ranges because we're now all clustered in different groups. And there's, there, by the way, there's power in doing stuff with people in, in your affinity. But, but, but if that's all we're doing, it's kind of a bad idea to just connect with people who are just like me. That's who I want to hang with. Because we look at what Jesus did here with his little small group of disciples. It's kind of crazy, right? Mark chapter 3 gives us the list of people who were in Jesus' small group. One of them was a guy known as Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Well, that sounds like a party, right? Um, Zealots were freedom fighters or terrorists, depending on your point of view. Um, They were extremist, nationalistic, political party, and they were committed to the overthrow of the Roman government by any means possible, including violence or assassinations, and they hated the Roman government that was overseeing Jerusalem and, and, and all of Israel. And the only people that the Zealots hated more than the Romans were their own fellow Jewish people who were collaborating with the Romans like eh, tax collectors, these corrupt fellow citizens who were collaborating instead with the Romans to get rich. So Jesus starts forming his small group, and it's like he's saying, hey, Simon, you're a Zealot. You despise Romans and collaborators like tax collectors. Come here, I choose you. I choose you. Then he says, uh, hey, Matthew, you're a collaborator and a despised tax collector. I'll take you, right? You can go ahead and room with Simon. You guys are going to have interesting talks. (laughs) See, that was the kind of weird craziness in Jesus' small group. Can you imagine what that would have been like as they traveled together and had all these conversations while they were Walking, you know, we have all these glamorized ideas of, of what it was like to, you know, follow Jesus as the disciples. But can you imagine, like, the conflict that they would have had to constantly be working out? No wonder he had to tell them over and over, love one another. <laughs> see, see, some of the disciples, like Matthew and maybe some others, came from wealth. And others came from poverty, different financial backgrounds. Here they were together. Jesus puts them in the same small group knowing that they will have lots of problems with each other. Or or think of James and John, the two disciples, the brothers. They want to be the top dogs. They want to be in charge. Their their dad, Zebedee, had a family business with employees. So they know, oh yeah, this is what we want to do. We want to be in charge. So they come to Jesus near the end of his time on earth and say, hey, Jesus, Jesus, after it's all over, we want to be the two that sit on your right hand and your left hand and and have the power. Like they say this, even though Jesus is always saying, hey, 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 listen, this is all about servanthood. It's about dying to yourself. But they go and ask for this instead. They wanna wanna be in power. And interestingly, if if you read the story, it says, what what did the other 10 disciples think when they heard about this? Anybody remember? They were ticked. They were really ticked. Like they were really upset, really upset. This is not a real easy small group. (laughs) Um, And this is helpful, I think, for us to remember as well. Because if you enter into authentic community, I guarantee it will not be easy. There will be difficult people. 
There will be. And, and by the way, if you get into a small group and there is no difficult person, let us know and we will assign one to you, right? We have files of names with difficult people and we'll send them. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's not in a file. It's, it's on our database. Um, but uh, difficult people, like it's just a part of the deal, right? But we have to remember that Jesus did not come to create a community of perfect people who all have natural chemistry and matching beliefs and ideologies. See, they and we grow by sticking together, working stuff out. (laughs) And what caused his small group to have this explosive growth was this spirit-empowered love that his followers lavished on anyone who could possibly stand it. That love started in that very different, very irritating, very conflicted small group. And it continues and has touched our lives today. See, every human being, every human being needs to be loved. Every human being needs to experience the love from someone else where we do love one another. And how I want to wrap this up today, instead of a a song, I want to tell a story and then ask something of us. And what I want to do is shift our focus from why small groups are important for us as followers of Jesus, and they are. I want to shift it from what's in it for me and what is a part of it for my concern. I want to shift it into, so when we do this and we provide a place or are a part of a place for others to belong to, what impact does that have? What happens when you and I help cultivate a place where someone else can experience love? Somebody that needs to be loved can experience it. And there's a story um, that Leonard Sweet relays, uh, an author named Mary Ann Bird. She tells about her, her early life and the story she calls The Whisper Test. And she writes this, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and this was back in the um, 20s um, of the last century. Yeah, so um, I was born with a cleft palate. I started school, and my classmates made it clear to me that how I looked to others, this little girl with a misshapen lip, a crooked nose, a lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. And when schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd, I'd fallen and cut, a, cut it on a piece of glass because somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. She says, I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. One year, I was in the class of Mrs. Leonard, a teacher who we all adored, and every year we had a hearing test I was deaf in one ear, but I'd learned to cheat by cupping my other ear, but I dreaded, I dreaded the hearing test. And Mrs. Leonard gave gave the hearing test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn, and I knew from past years as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? She said, I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were mine. I choose you. You know, isn't that that just like Jesus? (laughs) Isn't that just like Jesus? See, what blew people away about Jesus 
what rocked their world in a way that would change everything was that he walked around saying, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I want you that through his mind, and then his plan was that through his followers, together in community, through us, his whisper would spread that his whisper would spread and people would begin to experience that in following Jesus together, come on in. You, come on in. You, you belong. You are welcome. You are loved and not alone. That's the whisper people long to hear. And that's the family of God, my friends. So, here's the dream for us here at Hope. What if everybody who walks through these doors into our church and everybody that's here a part of this church family, what what if everyone was to hear someone whisper essentially in one way or another, I choose you or you are welcome. I want you to be part of our little community. Um, You are loved and not alone. Whether you say the words or not, that invitation Sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no, sometimes you have to ask them. I think Brittany said 17 times before somebody (laughs) that she invited to show up showed up. Um, But what if this could be more a place where no one stands alone, where no one feels the need to hide, where people don't have to isolate because of the fear of what someone's going to shame them with? And then in our small groups, We've got eight that are going to start up in, in a week here. But in our little small group, what if, what if we start receiving this vision for what God wants us to do beyond these walls and that whisper spreads to people in places that they didn't expect it? Yesterday in our small group leader training, Pastor Ben was fantastic. He, he just kind of created some new categories. He was like, hey, where do you invite people to your small group? Try like the, you know, the neighborhood mailbox cluster. Try, it was, we were like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Like invite people that aren't even here, a part of our church yet, like to belong to a little community. Um, It's how it spreads outside of our walls. And next week is our small groups launch. And I just wonder what will happen when every single person who's a part of our church would also be a part of a little community where somebody would know them and pray for them and love them and encourage them and then it spreads outside our walls. And maybe you're not connected to a spiritual community and maybe you're even kind of in drift mode and you're aware of that. And I just want to ask, would you be willing to, to start praying or even consider being in a small group? Maybe you're just disconnected and you think life is good and fine, but you realize, you recognize there's a disconnect in community. Would you start just considering taking, taking a risk, taking a try? In fact, any of you that are not yet signed up for small groups, you can sign up in the lobby. And those of you, maybe you're already hosting a group or you're already signed up in a part of a group. I just want to say you guys are in for an adventure with God. Um, And maybe you can be, as the hosts and people that are already connected in a group, maybe you can be asking, God, who do you want me to to whisper to, to invite? So as I wrap up, that's why we at Hope, that's why we at Hope want to become a church of small groups. You know, just think back on this image of the charcoal and what happens when we are together. (laughs) Um, 
where we're not isolated, where we can be taken out. And so let's read this Hebrews passage out loud one more time. Let's read it together. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, meeting together, following Jesus together, that was his plan. See, in a healthy community, we spur one another on in love. In a healthy community, we have the opportunity to be known and loved. And even though it isn't easy, it is worth it because that was and is Jesus' plan. So here's the two questions I wanna leave you with. Number one, will you, will you take a risk? Will you try it? Um, will you join in? Will you sign up for a small group? Um, there's a table out there, there's a map, there's options, different nights and places. Would you join a small group? And by the way, don't just try it for a week or two and ah, I'm out. It takes time, right? Like give it, give it yourself four, five, six weeks and then you know, bail the week you're supposed to bring snacks. Um, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> so number one, would you, if that's you, um, and for all of us that follow Jesus, would, would we, second question, would we be a person who carries that posture everywhere we go, that I choose you, that lets people know, hey, you belong, there's a place for you, you are loved and not alone, and we carry that posture and invite people into a small group or just even into our lives. I'm just going to give you a moment to be quiet with those two questions. Um, and then I'll have you stand and we'll pray to dismiss. But just in silence, just let these two questions kind of rest with you. Will you stand with me? So people of hope, as you go into your life and into your world, into your week, may we keep uh, at the forefront of our hearts this idea that we can follow Jesus together and invite others into that same community. Uh, may you have the courage this week to step out, to reach out, to love someone that needs the love of Jesus and maybe just needs to know that they are loved and not alone. May God make that clear to you. And if you're in a place where you need to know that, may you gain confidence in the love of God for you and his plan for your life and his deep care over you. Go now and be blessed in the name of the Father and the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, the prayer team's in back. If you need prayer for anything at all, they would love to pray for you. God bless you guys as you go. We will see you next week.